Okay, welcome back uh, to RUF. As you can see, or I guess you heard, uh, we <laughs> it doesn't really let up this week. Uh, we're in the midst of a really difficult section of the book of Revelation. Uh, if you're a visitor, uh, particularly if you're here for the first time, I want to particularly welcome you to RUF. We're so glad you're here, and there's way more to my job than Wednesday nights. Uh, what I enjoy more than anything about uh, my job in campus ministry is you. And so please come up and introduce yourself if uh, you're new to RUF, or maybe you've been a couple of times, maybe this is your first time. I'd love to meet you. Graham and Caroline are on staff with us. You can find them as well. Uh, we want to get to know you. Really glad you're here. Like I said, we're in the middle of a study uh, in the book of Revelation, and so please come back. You're a first-time visitor. Uh, we don't talk about beasts, and we're talking about prostitutes next week, and this week we're talking about beasts, last week dragons. Uh, we don't do that every week. There's <laughs> that's not all we talk about, so please come back uh, and see us. But why are we studying this book? Very simply put, we're studying this book uh, because our goal is to put Revelation back in your Bible. Most people... Bible is from Genesis to Jude. They have no idea what to do with the book of Revelation. And so by the grace of God, what we're trying to do this semester is put Revelation back in your Bible so that you can read it and understand it uh, as you do. Tonight, again, we come to a really difficult uh, passage, the beast. Before we dig in, we're going to pray and ask God to help us. But before we pray... Let me also mention this. We lost someone in our community this weekend. Some of you were friends with Grant. And if you were friends with Grant, I want to say that I'm really sorry. And I want you to know that Jesus hates death. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. And that one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to make all the sad things come untrue. That's a promise. And so when I pray, I'm also going to pray for the Womack family because they're hurting, and I want to pray for you if you were friends with him and knew him because you're hurting as well. So let me pray for our community and pray for tonight. Father, um, we ask that you would come in this uh, very uh, difficult uh, section in the last week, in the next couple of weeks, and bring clarity? Would you speak to us through your word and make this passage come alive and move us so that we are more captivated with the goodness of Jesus and who he is? Uh, we pray that you would come and teach and rebuke and correct and train us in all righteousness uh, from this passage that we're going to look at tonight. Father, also pray... Um, for our campus and for uh, the Womack family, particularly right now, uh, in the middle of their grief, I pray that you would show up in a big way and that you would be near to them, that you would bring comfort to them and bring people around them. Father, we don't understand your ways. We don't understand the things that you do, but you tell us that you're good. And... You also tell us that we have nowhere else to go, and we don't. And so we come to you 
and we ask that you would show up and work in the midst of a really hard situation and a real tragedy. Would you do that? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're not already there, turn with me to Revelation chapter 13, because we're going to be looking at a couple extra verses as well during our time. Last Christmas, we the big Christmas gift for our girls was a Nintendo Wii. They were excited about it. We were excited about it. And so along with the Wii, uh, you know, comes games and all sorts of other things. And so we had gotten them a couple of games. And then our friends, some friends of ours who had kids uh, about our age, told us about this really great game that their family has enjoyed. And so we thought, hey, that'd be great for our family. So we decided to start looking for that particular game. Well, it was an older game. We couldn't find it anywhere. Finally, my wife Susie tracked it down on eBay. And the, it was perfect because we got the package right before Christmas. And so just in time to put it under the tree. And we opened it up. No game. But there was a book <laughs> that told you all of these strategies and hidden things that you could do and places that you could go to reach multiple levels within the game. But nothing on the website that we were looking at on eBay indicated that it was not the game. We fully expected and thought that we were getting the game. We paid lots of money to get the game. We got duped. Have you ever been there? Has that ever happened to you? Maybe you bought sunglasses, a purse, jewelry, uh, clothing, shoes, and you thought you were getting the real thing, and instead you got a knockoff. Instead you got a counterfeit. Revelation chapter 13 is focusing on the reality that if we're not really, really careful we might be buying into a knockoff. And it's way more serious than video games and clothes and sunglasses and purses and jewelry. It's a matter of life and death. Because it says that we could be buying into a knockoff religion and not even realize it. John in Revelation 13 comes to us in an effort to help uncover and expose the counterfeit so that we might be able to identify the real thing. That's the purpose. Tonight we come to Revelation 13, and if you were here last week, we looked at Revelation 12 and we learned about the dragon. Well, this week, in this passage, we learned that the, de the, the devil, the dragon, actually has friends. He's enlisted some help. He does not work alone. And what we learned is that the dragon, along with the sea beast and the land beast, actually make up what others have referred to as an unholy or counterfeit trinity that is seeking to mimic God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
What we're going to see tonight is this unholy trinity seeks to counterfeit God in three ways. Counterfeiting his power, counterfeiting his religion, and lastly, his mark. Power, religion, and mark. Let's look at all of those. Let's look at number one. Power. We see that the beast of the sea comes and right off the bat seeks to tempt us with a counterfeit power. How do we see that? Look at verse 3. Very interesting. I've been blown away a lot this semester uh, as I've studied this book. Hopefully uh, you have been moved as well. But this particularly uh, was interesting to me. Look at verse 3. The beast seemingly has power of resurrection. Power over death. Look at what it says. One of his heads appeared to have a mortal wound that was healed. And the whole earth marveled and they followed the beast. And here's what blew me away. In the original language in the New Testament is Greek. Original language in the Old Testament is Hebrew. We're in the last book of the Bible, the New Testament. And in the Greek, here's literally what it says. The beast appeared as if slain. That should sound familiar. Where have we heard that before? Revelation chapter 5. Remember, John was weeping, and he looked, and he saw a lamb on the throne, and what? It appeared to be slain. And the lamb was on the throne, and he was weeping, but then he saw the lamb on the throne, and the lamb was the only one that was worthy. Remember, they were crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Why? Because the lamb that appeared to be slain was the only one worthy and had the power and the authority to open up the scrolls, which we learned was the plan and purposes of God in the world. Do you see what's happening? unbelievable the beast is counterfeiting the throne room of God the beast has power but it's a borrowed power from the story of the lamb in other words he's a fraud he's a fake he's a counterfeit and so what do we do with this Well, remember, we don't have to live in fear. As we study the book of Revelation, remember, it is symbolic. And so we're not walking around in fear, waiting for something to come up out of the sea and come get us. That's the good news. The bad news is this. What is pictured in Revelation 13 is real. And it exists, and it is at work on this campus and in this room right now as we speak. John's pulling back the curtain, remember, in the book of Revelation. And here what he's showing us is the sobering, unseen realities that are at work presently when people eject the living God out of the center of their lives. He's showing us that all social, economic, institutional, educational, and ideologies that boast of their power over and above God are actually associated with this beast. And here's what's interesting. Look at verse 4. 
the whole earth worshipped the dragon and he had given authority to the beast and they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? Look at verse 8. All who were on earth dwelt... All who dwelled on earth will worship it. And so your question might be this. Why in the world would anyone follow the beast? Well, there's lots of reasons. But here's the real question. Are you following the beast? You see, that's my fear for my own life. And that's my fear for us tonight. My fear is that many of us are living lives and it's only in the pursuit of power and self-preservation. My fear, because that's the beast. That's what it is. It's a pursuit of power and self-preservation. Think about it. When you cheat in school, that's the beast. How is that the beast? Well, think about it. Something tells you that you have to keep the power. And you think, if I fail this class, then I won't get into the grad school that I need to get into in order to get the position of power in whatever career that is of your choosing. And so I've got to cheat because that's how I stay in control. That's the work of the beast. Or maybe it's you use people instead of love them. How so? Well, why do we use people? Well, because we know that the world tells us in order to get places, you've got to know people. If you want to be powerful and get to places of power, you've got to know the right people. And so we use people instead of love them in order to move up the ladder and become somebody. Because that's what makes you powerful. That's the beast. When you refuse to be transparent and when you hide and they're never honest about your struggles and who you are and what's really going on on the inside. That's the beast. Why? Because you're holding on to power. Because you know and are afraid and scared to lose your reputation because then you lose power and then you lose control. And so you're never honest with anyone about who you really are. It's why you lie to your parents about how things are really going at school. Why? Because you've got to preserve your life. And the life of fun that you're living at Ole Miss. Some of you tonight are a slave to this beast. And he's telling you that this is the way that it has to be. And some of you are depressed and you hate your life and you long for a different life and you long so desperately to have time to rest and time to actually read a book that you enjoy. Or you long to have time to make a friend or actually be with the friends you have 
and you can't because you don't have time to do those things. Why not? Because like the passage, you're saying, who can overcome the beast? Because, Jason, that's just the way it works in the world. you got to play the game. Because the world comes and says, if you have to play the game and you've got to become powerful, because if you're not powerful, then you are a loser. And you know what's really driving all of that? Fear. At the core of all of that is you're afraid. And so you, instead of trusting Jesus and that he might offer a better life for you, you align yourself with the beast and choose power and self-preservation. And the gospel comes and Jesus says, but do you want life? True life comes when we lose power. True life comes when we actually die to ourselves and give up our life. Think about it. How is the beast counterfeiting Jesus? Because the gospel and Jesus are the complete opposite. Jesus actually had all the power. And what did he do? He gave it up. Jesus did not preserve his life, but he actually lost his life for you so that you could live. And so here's my question. Are you being duped by the beast? How are you tonight pursuing power and self-preservation in ways that you're just now realizing? Think about those questions, and that will tell you how you're being duped by the beast. Secondly, religion. Secondly, we see that the land beast tempts us with a counterfeit religion. Look at verses 13 and 14. And we see that his primary tool is deception. The first beast uh, basically attacks and comes at us very overtly from the outside. Well, this beast, the land beast, actually assaults us from the inside out very, uh, very covertly by tricking us into believing that he is true. In other words, he's not a persecutor. He's a deceiver. And so he takes the truth ever so slightly of Christianity, of the gospel, and he twists it just a little bit in order to draw you in. And this has been going on for the entire history of the church. There have been attempts to undermine Christianity, undermine the gospel, and what the church is doing. That's why if you look at the New Testament, almost all of the books, particularly that Paul wrote, wrote, writes, are in response to heresies. He's trying to correct something, a false gospel. Look at the book of Galatians. That's what he's doing there. And here's what this means. is It's, it's very possible to be someone who gets Christianity wrong. It's very possible to be someone who's very sincere and who cherry-picks a couple of verses in order to back up what they believe, yet be someone that who's actually bought into a false gospel. What does that look like? Well, here are three that are very prevalent in our society. The first one is the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel teaches that 
Jesus is a commodity. And so do you want Jesus? Well, then come by Jesus, and then Jesus will give you the wife of your dreams, the husband of your dreams. He'll give you a new car. He'll heal you. He'll give you lots of money. He'll get you into med school. And if we have learned anything this semester, through the book of Revelation, remember the context. Jesus or John is writing to Christians who are dying, who are being beheaded and put in prison. And so if we are learning anything, it's that following Jesus involves suffering and hardship. And one of the things we learned a few weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again, some of you are angry and bitter at God as you sit here tonight. Because you think God is holding out on you. You're angry and bitter for a promise, for Him not coming through for you on a promise that He never made. And what I mean by that is nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say that you will not suffer if you're a Christian. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say that he's going to pull you out of that suffering. He might. You know what the Bible does say? That our God doesn't stand aloof from us in our suffering, but actually enters into our suffering with us and is with us in the midst of it. And that is what gives us the courage and the strength to look it in the eye, and to get up and to live another day. Secondly, there's the false gospel of Jesus plus something. It's what gets you into the family of God. In other words, it's not enough for you simply to believe in Jesus, that he died for your sin, and that he gives you his righteousness. You must also do blank. Fill in the blank. And whatever it is that you fill in the blank with, that means that you have bought in to a false gospel because Christianity is Jesus plus nothing. Jesus does it all. Thirdly, and probably the most prominent on our campus, and probably the most prominent in the Bible Belt and in the South, and it's called e Easy Believism. And that means that Jesus is your Savior, but he's not your king. You go to Jesus, and he's your fire insurance, and he's your ticket to keep you from hell. But then you look at your own life, and you say, this is mine. It belongs to me, and I'm going to live however I want, and I'm going to do whatever I want, and I'm going to live for myself. Here's the problem with that. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. That's not the real Jesus. Because basically, you are making Jesus into who you want him to be rather than worshiping Jesus as he really is. Because the Jesus that we see in Scripture comes and says, I am your Savior. Yes, but I'm also your Lord and your King, and you cannot chop me into a bunch of pieces and take only the parts of me that you like. You've got to take it all. 
See, when you come to Jesus, he owns you. And he says, I call the shots. In every single area of your life, all the way down to the smallest detail that you can think of. Friends, easy believism is a false gospel. And many of us have bought into that lie. And if you look at all of these, easy believism, grace plus works, and the prosperity gospel, they all are the work of the beast. Think about it. How are they the work of the beast? Because they keep you in power. They keep you in control. Because it makes it all about you. Last spring, I don't know why I never heard this. You've probably heard it before. But the FBI, I learned how the FBI trains its agents to identify counterfeit money. And if you know how they do it, this is very fascinating to me, they never handle counterfeit money. They only handle the real thing. They spend countless hours with it, over and over. They smell it, they hold it, they know the weight. Why? So that when a counterfeit comes their way, they can see it a mile away because they've had so much experience with the real thing. How do we fight off the beast? Well, there's a, there's a pattern. Remember last week? We talked about immersing ourselves in the word of testimony. How do you fight off the beast? You immerse yourself in this book. You immerse yourself in the Bible, in the word of testimony. Why? Because this is where Jesus is. And the hope is that we would become so familiar and spend countless hours identifying, examining, smelling, holding, and getting familiar with Jesus that when the false gospels and a false gods and counterfeit gods come our way we'll smell it a mile away because we are so familiar with the real thing you see that's why as we said last week when something tells you not to come to things like this come because this is where we hear the word of testimony Go to your small group and talk about Jesus. Go to Sunday Night Fellowship and sing about Jesus. And we're reminded there of what is right and true in the world. And it restores our sanity. And it exposes the counterfeit that comes our way. We've seen the power, the counterfeit religion, and lastly, the mark. So who is 666? There's been lots of ink that's spilled on this question, and people have played all kinds of games with it, and people over the years have tried to put a name with the number 666. And the most prominent one, and the one that most people agree on, agree on is Caesar Nero. Another option is that suggests that 666 is obviously a counterfeit of 777. Remember, 7 is the perfect number, the number of completeness. 666 meaning complete incompleteness. He tries to be perfect, but he can never be. Way more to be said about that, 
you want to talk more about that, I'd be happy to talk with you about that sometime. But here's what I want you to get. That's not the point of Revelation 13. The point is for us not, and this is the way people all throughout history of the church, particularly now, currently, everybody wants to figure that out. That's not the point of Revelation 13, to find out who wears the mark of the beast. Or who is the man that's marked 666. So what's the point? The point is this. God puts his mark on his people. And the beast also marks his people. No neutrality. Every single person has an identity marker. That's really the point of the passage. How do we see this? Look at verse 16. And this, this whole section, when I saw this, was really incredible. Look at verse 16. Again, the mark of the beast is a counterfeit. He's actually borrowing from God's story where God marks his people. Look again at verse 16. Notice where the beast marks his people on the hand and on the forehead. What's interesting is you go back to Exodus chapter 13, verse 9, and you know what it says? After the people observed the Passover, that they were Christians, okay? The people of God observed the Passover, that they were marked, yes, on their head and on their hands, showing they were someone who was faithful to God. The Old Testament, the Jews would wear scriptures around their hands and around their forehead to show who they belonged to and to show them how they were to live. And I was floored when I saw 14, Revelation 14, look at your sheet, verse 1, look at it. Then I looked and there stood a lamb and with him stood 144,000. If you were here a few weeks ago, the 144,000 is all Christians, you tonight if you are a believer in Jesus. Then look at the next sentence, or next part of the verse. And his father's name was written on their foreheads. That's absolutely amazing. This summer I read a book called Fearless. Some of you I've told about, I've uh, mentioned this book to you. It's basically a book about family and addiction and faith and commitment, but it's about one guy named Adam Brown who's from Arkansas who goes to the top of the U.S. military and joins the Navy SEALs. It's about his life. And at one point in the book, he's talking about after he had become a SEAL, they had this initiation ceremony where they take this pen, this trident, a go trident, and they put it into your uniform as a marker that you're now a Navy SEAL. He said that was the official ceremony. And a couple hours later, we had the unofficial ceremony, uh, the real rite of passage. And they went over to a senior staff mem member's house, and he said all the new seals walked in, they took off their shirts, and he pressed them, and they all had to stand up against the wall and hold their trident in their hand. And then a senior officer would walk by, take the trident out of their hand, put it up to their chest, and punch it in 
with their fist. You see what's happening, don't you? They're being marked. It was a marker reminding them of who they were. They could always look at that scar and be reminded of who they were and who they belonged to and how they were to live and their purpose in the world and the way that they were to fight. It showed them how to live. And if you look at verse 13, notice the beast is marked and his actions reflected. The people of God, verse 14, 2 and 3, if you have your Bible, they are marked and their actions also reflected in that they worship. You see, every day we are faced with the question, who will take care of us? That's really the question. Every day, who will take care of you? The beast or Jesus? Don't be duped. Don't buy into the counterfeit. Don't buy the knockoff. Jesus is the God who is willing to sacrifice for you. Jesus is the God that died for you. Jesus is the God that forgives you. While the beast, the gods of prestige and power and popularity and clout, they will grind you into the ground and they will never stop until they destroy you. And so here's really the question. Whose mark are you wearing tonight? Service to the beast leads to destruction. Service to the lamb leads to peace and security in life. That's an invitation. Let's pray.